When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Good evening. A warm welcome to King's Place for this special event organised by Intelligence Squared and eBay. I'm Jemima Kish. I've been covering technology and media for 12 years. Um, I've been at The Guardian for eight years, although at The Guardian it doesn't count until you're in double figures. Um, And I now head the technology editorial team. Um, Now, if anyone knows the answer to the question about the future of the high street, it is this esteemed panel of business leaders, uh, entrepreneurs and creative thinkers, which would be Ben on the end there. Um, (laughs) On one hand, there are gloomy headlines about the death of the high street, boarded up shops, failing businesses... Um, and a sense that we're losing um, a focal point for our communities. Um, On the other, we have a very tech-forward population, a thriving start-up scene, um, and a generation that thinks web first. We can buy anything we want, anytime, online. We already have click and collect. We have location services that will tailor a service to us according to where we are, Um, and fascinating augmented technologies as well um, that can do things like let us imagine what a sofa would look like in our lounge before we've even bought it. But where does this leave the high street, which for centuries has been the focus of our local communities? Will technology kill off the high street completely or just save the best of it? And how would these changing trends and habits change town centres in the next 50 years. So meet our panel that will help answer all of those questions. Um, To my right, Paul Todd is eBay's Vice President of Marketplaces in Europe and a veteran of the dot-com industry with roles at Google and also at McKinsey's Technology Strategy Practices. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Um, Simon Mottram, welcome also. Simon is the founder and chief executive of the cycling sportswear brand Rafa. Um, you've dressed Team Sky, um, Sir Bradley Wiggins and Chris Froome, amongst others, which is not <laughs> unimpressive. Um, and before starting Rafa, you were a director of brand consultancy at Interbrand and a partner at a number of agencies. To my left, um, the former CEO of Wix, Iceland, Focus DIY, um, and also the author of Sold Out, Who Really Killed the High Street? And now High Street advisor to the Labour Party, Bill Grimesy. Welcome, Bill. Um, and last but not least, um, Bill Hammersley, formerly of the Guardian Parish, um, 
uh, former technology reporter for The Guardian, no less, and The Times, contributing editor at Wired, um, and introduced the, world, the word podcast to the world, uh, which you may or may not know. Um, and also... Uh, didn't you build the first blogs at The Guardian on yeah. movable type back in the day? I built all the blogs and comment is free, so I basically broke The Guardian. I'm sorry about that. He, he doesn't look <laughs> old enough for any of this stuff. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, our panel, round of applause, please. We are going to probe each of our panellists in turn by way of an introduction so that you can see where they come from, what their ideas are and what some of their uh, initial answers to, to these questions are. Um, uh, we also, after this, we'll, we'll want your questions, so please do think and start um, brewing those for our panel. Um, you can follow Intelligence Squared, our hosts, on Twitter. The hashtag is up to your left. Um, that is iq 2 High Street, um, and feel free to, free to tweet as we go along, of course. Um, so to start the, the debate, Paul. Yes. Welcome. Thank you very Thank much you. for joining us. Um, the High Street is dead. Long live the High Street. Is that true? What's your take? So my, my starting premise <clears throat> is that there is a, uh, or, or people have a fundamental anthropological need for physical shopping and for physical interaction within communities around that shopping experience. So it's not going to go away. Um, but coming back to the premise, I, it, it's clear that shopping has gone through multiple evolutions over the years, the development of the supermarket, which drove scale, out-of-town shopping centers, uh, format innovation back into city centers, all of that uh, has happened. Um, and it's clear that the, the, the high street right now, as you said in your intro, is challenged significantly. Um, and the shopping street, uh, the, the high street as we know it, I think, does, it kind of won't survive in its, in its current form. Um, but it will be reborn because of that anthropological need of people to go shopping. It's enjoyable and it's a, it's a kind of fun thing to do. Um, so, my, so my view is that um, uh, I, I guess the premise is correct. Like it, it is dead as we knew it, but it will be reborn. Um, my hope and expectation and belief is that technology will play a part in doing that. I think you mentioned some of the ways that technology can help, some of the cool, funky stuff like, um, you know, will this sofa fit my home? Will these clothes fit me without trying them on? There's some kind of interesting new technologies. But I think one of the most relevant to the high street is, is the ability to create communities. I think, you know, Simon's site is a terrific example of that where you, you bring people together around a common interest. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm from Sunderland originally, in case you can't tell from my accent. And I can guarantee you that in Sunderland, we buy different things from folks on the Chiswick High Street. And there's a common interest and a common uh, uh, um, kind of propensity to buy things. And I think the ability for technology to bring people uh, together around common interests and communities and, re and, and kind of rebirth the high street uh, is what's exciting to me. And, that's, and it's exciting you know, because of the rebirth, but also because it's less of a cookie-cutter approach to high street development. But, but, but you recognise that despite people's propensity towards physical objects... Yeah. Um, e-commerce has definitely had a, detriment, a detrimental effect on the high street as well. What are some of the, the threats to the high street that technology has presented? I think, um, you know, I, 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 every threat is an opportunity, right? Which is that um, I think, you know, uh, people's use of technologies can be positive or negative depending on how they're embraced. 
right? So mobile phones can be embraced and can be a way of augmenting the experience and making it richer and deeper, or it can be a substitute if you separate the two, which is why, you know, from, from opposite, from eBay's perspective, we, we no longer think, for example, about mobile. We think about multi-screen and how you kind of have experiences in the shop, on the desktop, on the mobile that connect together and create a total um, experience. So I think every single technology provides the opportunity for a displacement or the opportunity for an augmentation, you know, the stuff that you're talking about. Um, augmented reality can be a substitute or can be a complement, depending <laughs> on how the retailers embrace those technologies. Is shopping still fun, though? Does the internet take away a bit of the, the fun element? Hell yes, shopping is fun, right? I mean, there's just, first of all, there's, there's more selection than there's ever been, right? So you can, um, if you're a seller, you can, with the flip of a switch, sell globally, right? We, you know, we can, we can solve payments, we can solve shipping, we can solve distribution and, and kind of marketing with the, literally with the flip of a switch. So the ability to shop the world is real, right? And, and that ability to get incredible choice uh, and selection. And then in terms of physical shopping, there's more innovation starting to happen than we've ever seen before. So pop-up, you know, Box Park down the road here, and uh, right, is, is, is pretty interesting. Pop-up stores, um, the use of, um, you know, technologies so that it, it's less about sales per square foot, 2D shopping, how much inventory can you jam onto the store, to 3D shopping, how can you extend the shopping experience by using uh, digital techniques. All of that innovation is just making it more, more relevant, more personal, and for me, more fun. Thank you. Um, Simon, you have your own take on, um, on the high street and on retail, and community is a big part of that. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, I, I would agree with Paul about community and human interaction. I think where I would start is just trying to understand where does value lie for consumers. And I don't think value is in just getting more stuff. I think it's a bit more complex than that. So I think definitely human interaction and community is a, a source of value. I think consumers, as we all know, increasingly customers want experiences, not products. So I think if you can provide an experience, then you're going to get more value to the customer. And that's you can do that online, and we do a decent enough job, but it's much better to do that physically. I think it's much more rewarding, much more valuable. So I think there's something in that. And then ultimately, the biggest value is probably time. And if, I've gonna, if I'm going to spend my time doing anything to do with a brand or anything to do with commerce, it had better be worth it. So I, if, it's not worth, if it's not worth very much, it needs to be as fast and as efficient and get out of the way as quickly as possible. If I'm going to actually spend some time, it's got to be as immersive, as engaging, as rich as it possibly can. And I honestly don't believe you can do that purely online. Um, the, other thing I'd, the other point I'd make is that I think value is accentuated and maximized when you focus on what matters most. And to me, as a customer, I'm a bit of a Luddite, but I think to a lot of customers out there, technology is not the point. Um, you know, what really matters is what your, you know, the bigger idea as to why you're doing something. So for our point of view, our customers want to be riding their bikes. They want to be dreaming about it. They want to be talking about it. They want to be potentially buying products about it. But it's about riding the bikes. It's not about um, a widget that tells them about riding a bike. So technology needs to get out of the way and help, full, help um, support that as a platform. You did things an unusual way around in that you started with a web business and moved to a physical business. Yeah. Where did that concept come from? Well, we're a niche business, so I suspect in this room there were a few cyclists, there's probably a few more than there would, or many more than there would have been 10 years ago. Um, 
but even now, if you wanted to be in the cycling business, it's quite hard to do that in one city, in one country. Um, so, yeah, we are absolutely the product of the internet. Um, we couldn't have done Rafa without the internet. So we definitely started from that point of view. Um, but it was that way around. We had to reach a niche audience all over the world. Um, and technology allowed us to do that. But from day one, it was always a physical business. So we launched with a month-long exhibition in the East End of London, um, which cost a lot of money and was very physical and very sort of straightforward in that, you know, there was no retail going on in terms of technology. It was just people coming and looking at some great exhibits and watching the tour on TV. But it was really important to be physical even from day one. And all the way through, we've tried to make it as physical as possible. So even though we're a technology-based business from day one, we're also a physical business. And how do you decide which location to to set up in? Because you have some lovely locations so far. Yeah, we don't. I mean, traditionally retailers would it would be sensible to start dominating a city or a region and grow out that way um i'm very nervous about that because overexposure is is a real risk for us and we've got customers all over the world so it makes more sense for me to do london followed by new york followed by sydney followed by tokyo than shoreditch followed by ealing followed by kensington which is you know what most other retailers would do and um this wonderful word omnichannel can you describe how you join up your web and physical channels? We don't do it very well. Um, we barely do it I'm at sure all. I'm sure you do. I think we're probably like most people. We actually talk about it a lot and we think about it a lot, but actually what really affects the customer isn't very profound. Um, we join them up by being passionate through all channels, and that's about as far as it's got us so far. Um, this year we're investing a lot of money in trying to put the technology in to do it better. But it hasn't really held us back. So we're always looking at how it can add things, but we're not desperately worried. So, yeah, we're, we're not a, a fantastic technology uh, showcase. OK, watch this space. OK, Bill, you've been doing this for 45 years in the, in the retail sector. Um, do we get too nostalgic about the high street? Well, as a public, we do. Uh, the, 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 uh, the question is often posed... Uh, what, what do you want to do with your high street? And everyone says, oh, we want it back the way it was. Well, the fact is, you don't, because uh, you don't shop there, OK? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and, and we need to get used to that. The future is about understanding the kind of stuff that's just been mentioned about time and value that uh, technology is going to assist with in a great way and our town centres and high streets need to adapt to that new world in a very different way and it's not going to be driven by shops they will be a part of it but they are not going to be the main driver that sounds intriguing i think we'll have to dig into that later on um what does this mean for the diversity and the evolving role of the high streets what does it mean for entrepreneurs and small retailers specifically well, providing we can get the local authority and the politicians <coughs> to start being visionary, yeah. what it will mean is that they will start to do 20-year plans for their high streets, engaging with technology, fully wired high streets, no black spots, 4G, um, and everybody engaged in that community, and the word community is big and important. Our town centres and high streets will thrive in the future as community hubs with more housing, education, health, um, leisure, entertainment, arts, crafts, 
and some shops. OK, so not no shops, but and some shops. And that will all be wired up, all be local community. If it can be local economy as well, that's a plus point. There are some towns like uh, the transition towns around the UK that are already doing that, and they're doing it quite well, and they need to do it better. And you can get the local economy thriving, because there's, there is a, uh, um, a statistic that says if you've got local entrepreneurs in a locality, the money stays in the locality, whereas if you bring in a national chain, guess what? the money goes out of the location. So uh, about the local economies is very important. So mm. the, the community hub is at the heart of everything that I've been trying to do since writing, sold out the advert, by the way, um, uh, and then moving on to the Grimsey Review, which was the alternative to the Portas Review, which uh, I took... Uh, um, great umbrage over because I thought it was a complete missed opportunity. And we can also talk about that later. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm going too fast, I guess. But the, the fact is, to answer your question, the diversity in our towns will be around... Manufacturing will come back to our towns. 3D printing, entrepreneurism <laughs> is coming. And it's all going to be... A, aided by technology. It's a huge opportunity. It's exciting. Stop thinking about the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, because that era has been and gone. If somebody doesn't put that on Twitter, I'm going to put that on Twitter. That's very good. Um, that doesn't really sound like there's a role for technology in that, though. It's a huge role. Technology's going to drive it. Um, libraries. We've got to get our... Our politicians to stop shutting the damn things. That would help. Okay? Yes. And they've got to change away from just books on shelves. They've got to become technology hubs. Uh, they've, they're going to be completely different in the future. People, pe the, the reason home working wasn't a success is because people were isolated. If you brought it into the library where they could go and hot desk, and they could have coffee in there, and they could interact with people, then people would work in, a, in that locality. They wouldn't need to go uh, to, to, to the office anymore. And that, that's, that's proper home place working. And so put the library at the heart of everything that the technology for the town stands for, wire it up, get all of the activities engaged in that, and with mobile devices being what they are, um, as the picture on here is, this lady is carrying her iPad and she's got all these appointments pop popping up and she's got people reminding her about this, that and the other. The technology is the driver and it needs to be used very, very importantly. Um, on to a, a slightly different um, subject. Um, Eric Pickles has sort of dismissed this idea of a tax on supermarkets, saying that all businesses are struggling with sort of disruption um, and that supermarkets shouldn't be penalised. What do you think of that? Well, um, my position is clear. It's, in, it's number 31 in there. Uh, we, we said that if you, if you were brave enough to do what we were recommending there, in 2014 you would put a one-off levy on all uh, retailers and uh, food and drink retailers that were with turnover of more than 10 million a year and they're profitable, of a quarter of a percent of their turnover for one year to build a fund to help build the plans and the visions for reproducing uh, our town centres and leaving a legacy for my grandchildren that I can be proud of and not desolate shops and not being obsessed with this commerciality of shops, shops, shops. It isn't going to work. And so I'm, I'm, I'm quite clear. The, the large corporations in this country... 
um, milked it for the last 25 years. They were the, the, they, they provocated, I was part of it. I built out of town superstores. I was a new store development director uh -huh. in the 80s. So, you know, <laughs> hey, I, I, you know, I'm not without blame here. But the, the fact is, we did all of that. What is wrong with putting something back and being a part of it? Now, I agree with it, providing that money is used for that purpose. If it's going to be used to plug local authority budgets that have been ripped apart by the austerity programme and it's going to be a continuous every year tax, well, that's nonsense, and I agree with Pickles there. But actually a one-off, get the, the large corporations to help us rebuild the UK, rebuild local authorities, uh, local communities uh, and local economies for the 21st century, then I'm right there. We're going to return to that subject a bit later on. Um, ben Hammersley, furiously making notes on the end there. Is the high street dead and buried? Are, just, are these shops all just being replaced with coffee shops? That's what it feels like sometimes, isn't it? I hope so. The high street is rubbish, right? The high street is, isn't fit for purpose, or at least the purpose that, as Bill said, is sort of nostalgically held that the high street's purpose is. If you think of all of... You know, th there's this old vision of... The, the central thoroughfare of a small English market town where you would take your entire family, you know, husband and wife and two little moppets, and they would, do their, they would do their weekly shopping on a Saturday afternoon, and they would go from butcher to grocer to candlestick maker because they buy a lot of candles, and, and they would go along and, and they would go to, you know, a nice toy shop and maybe peer in through the window in an old-fashioned sweet shop, perhaps, and they would go on along their way, and it would be this... And, and we should hark back to this time that sort of shopping is rubbish. It's just not very good. We, are, we live now in a world where we are cash and time poor, and we, have, and we, we want to demand much greater choice. And we either, have, we either live out of town and have cars, or we live in the inner city centre where, where we have to rely on public transport. And both of those, all of those things added together means that for the vast majority of your shopping either an out-of-town supermarket or an internet delivery is by far the best thing that has ever happened to you, right? You know, as you know, I, I just had a, a daughter seven weeks ago. She's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. And so... That's my granddaughter. Indeed. So the same sort of thing, right? You know, and I'm sure you will. There are many babies associated with this room, right? And they're all gorgeous. Let's and they're just all establish lovely. that. Yeah, OK. But my beautiful daughter... She seems to ship for a living, basically. And so, and so we order an awful lot of nappies and wet wipes and all of that sort of stuff. And I live in King's Cross. If I had to spend my time going to the supermarket and bringing back the hundreds of nappies that we, we require and the washing powder and all of the stuff and all of our weekly shop and carrying it through the centre of London as the proponents of the nostalgic high street would have me do because it's somehow morally superior to do that, then my life would be ruined, basically. As would everybody else who lives in the centre of town or, and or lives out in some suburban village somewhere who drives to Waitrose or Asda or Sainsbury's or whatever once a week. So we have to look at the, the, the actual value of our time and effort and money. And so we have to say, well, what is the purpose of the high street now? And so I'm, I'm entirely with, with Bill. In my mind, cities are the, are the, are the centre of civilization. They're the things that, that make humans the most human 
thing, right? Living in the countryside is is akin to being slightly lower down the evolutionary scale. You live in the. <laughs> I'm very happy with my domestic arrangements, but thank you, Ben. Well, you know, <clears throat> you and squirrels, yeah. but. Cities are the height of civilization, and the and the high street is the center of of that civilized of that civilization. And so we should be looking at repurposing the high street away from this sort of dull quotidian habit that we have to have of shopping once a week, and and move it more towards the higher purposes of of life, the higher purposes of civilization. Now you said earlier, I had to write it down because you said that we have an anthropological need to go shopping. I really hope that's not true. I think we have an anthropological need to hang out and discuss things and meet in cafes and look at beautiful things and look at beautiful people and and have romantic weekends and and you know and be human. That's an anthropological need and that's what the high street is for. It's for all of the other things that aren't shopping. Now yes, there are some shops. Rafa is a particularly good example. A lovely place selling lovely, lovely things, where and that has a different social role than going around Tesco's and getting your weekly groceries. So they will always be a place for those very beautiful shops, finely curated pop-ups. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful talents in London now curating pop-ups and all of those sorts of stores, and they have a real social purpose. But the the human the human need for shopping is entirely fake. We have a human need for for beauty and connection and art and romance, and that's what the high street should be for. And good coffee as well. And the shopping bit, we can we can outsource out to Amazon and eBay and and Ocado, and we can get on with doing the much more fun things in life. If you can be succinct, um, <laughs> I I would love to ask you about the naffness of some forms of technology. So you know the sofa in your living room thing and the. Mm. I don't know, the designer dress you could try on virtually. You know, the idea's great, but it's just really naff, isn't it? I mean, the promise of the technology is so far from what it actually delivers, isn't it? It is in that all of the things that it's been used for so far, the, it, it's missing out the, the additional social things that you get from that purchasing experience. So... Going shopping with your friends, trying on dresses, the value you get is in the interaction and the trying on the dress. The dress itself is really sort of a useful souvenir of the experience. So currently, all of that sort of augmented reality and a, and a super multi, multimedia high-class stuff, that's really been used on the wrong type of purchasing because it's not adding any value if you're the sort of person who is trying on a £2,000 frock using, using your iPhone and then ordering it, then it's not really adding any value to you. OK, that was nice and succinct. OK, we're going to open the debate up now um, with uh, more voices from the panel kind of piling into each question and your voices as well. Can I just have a show of hands as to whether anyone has already percolated a question? There's one, two, three. Excellent, OK. We'll do a couple of questions on the panel and then we will open the, the, uh, the mic to the floor. But um, we have ushers in the stalls who have a, a roving microphone, so they will bring you the microphone. Can you please stand up and then say your name and where you're from? We don't want to embarrass you, but it just is much nicer on camera. Um, first of all, um, <clears throat> to whoever would, would like to take this, um, 
it feels that there is a revival and has been for some time of physical goods, of craft, of the farmer's market, of even Etsy, which although it's on, online and has been around for a very long time, is celebrating craft and uniqueness. And it also feels like this is a response to you know, the kind of impersonal nature of, of shopping online. Um, so where is this going and what impact does this have on the kind of uniqueness and, and more craft focus or at least the more personal nature of the, the individual high street? Well, uh, Go on, Bill. I'll kick it off. I mean, yeah. Let's be clear about this. The, 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 the arts, the crafts and that kind of cottage-type entrepreneurial stuff has a huge future um, in, in, in each location. But where I totally disagree with you, I'm Excellent. afraid, <laughs> is that what will happen in the future is big miles are coming. They're coming big time, trust me. They will be the future. And my granddaughter, who's also lovely, she's seven, she is proficient. She is proficient on an iPad. And she, she, she's going to grow up with technology and she'll be so used to it. The one time she gets to 18 and wants to shop with her mates for clothes, she is not going to go to a store that's got racks of clothes um, and be, be, be faced with a, a fashion industry which is seasonally based, which buys from the Far East, that starts with prices up here and winds up down there. That's all going to be old hat. The model is going to change. She's going to go to a big mall. It's going to be great. It's going to be white light. It's going to be an experience. Not Customer service is old hat. Experience is what it's about. She's going to go in there, she's going to sit, and there'll be hologram catwalk in front of her, and these models will come wearing the clothes that she and her mates want to wear, and they'll be able to change the clothes as they're walking towards them. So mix and match it, design their own stuff, stand in front of a mirror and be wearing it. But this technology exists today, but it is not very good. It's a bit flat. It will, by then, stretch with her. So it'd be like she's wearing it. But why, why uh, wouldn't that, she just, if that, she's in a mall, why wouldn't she just put it on? She'd just take... Because why, you have to have stock. You're not... You, and that'd be a different model. Working capital's going to change. You don't... Why not take a picture of her in front of that mirror, which will then take all her measurements? The first thing I do why when I buy anything... made is, straight away? The first thing I do when I buy anything is I touch the fabric... That it's the first thing if Steve Jobs was still alive, by then, these things will have gooey screens and they will change <laughs> the material. We have to get our mind around... This has not around. been leaked from the production line, no, to the no. best of my knowledge. We, but we have to get our mind around that technology is a facilitator for a new experience and a new way. Don't replicate the way you want to shop but with I, racks of I, clothes. I, I, I take your point in regards to the, the purchasing of clothes activity that's part of shopping. But my point was that the purchasing of clothes activity of clothes shopping is actually a very small part of clothes shopping. When your granddaughter is, is 17 years old and is going to shopping malls, she's not going to shopping... She, although she's going to buy clothes, she's actually going to look at boys yeah. while no. she's buying clothes. No, I understand and that, so, and, I, and I will be behind her like that. But the fact... That's the secondary but, things that we, we No, I agree with on. that, but the experience that she will have with the music pumping and it will be great... She will then take these photographs. She'll go skiing next door in the ski dome or she'll do whatever she's got to do. Uh, it, it, and she will buy it two days later. 
and it might be something she's designed. There won't be any stock held. The working capital for, for fashion retailers will change dramatically. And why won't it bring back manufacturing to the UK mm -hmm. and be made and then delivered uh, uh, straight to her home? That's what the future... And that's just in, 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 um, in fashion. If you translate that into food, you're right. Why the hell do you want to go shopping for cornflakes and stuff like that? People will stop all that. But fresh food, that's the future. And then fresh food emporiums in town centres with restaurants around them and experts, that's fun. What's your take on all this? Are they, are they being too reductive on the experience of the high streets? Because this is actually forgetting the web. So, so I, 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 I think... Uh, so, first of all, I don't think there's a single answer. Uh, people aren't all the same and people have different modes of shopping, right? So we aren't all in the same mode when we buy things. And things that we don't care about, like nappies, we might just want to order online. Things that we do care about that have a story for us, we might invest more, invest more time in. And I think the rise of the examples that you mentioned, the, the arts and crafts, the, um, some of the fashion examples, are about story. And, and I think Simon mentioned this in his introductory comments, which is, um, I think now people want to express themselves often through the things they buy, through the experiences they have, the holidays they go on, the, the stories they can tell, whether it's about the boy that they met at the mall or that the, the, there's something associated with the item that you buy that, that allows you to express yourself in some personal way. And that's, that's, that's about story. And that is, that's the essence of experience. And I think that's what shopping is, w will become. Now, again, is it going to become shopping for, for when I'm buying nappies? Not so much, right? When I'm buying that kind of like that, that personal thing that's going to go on the shelf at home that I want to tell a story about that comes from Nepal and is made by the local artisan, you know, th then there's a story around it that I can connect to. And I think it's the search for story that's driving a lot of these, uh, the, these new experiences. That's what you're really good on, isn't it? <clears throat> well, that's definitely what we do. Yeah. And, um, a lot of what's been said I completely agree with. I don't know. I, much as I like the fact that we're heading up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and <laughs> we should all be self-actualizing all the time, I actually quite like stuff. And, and Rafa isn't about <laughs> pushing stuff. And, and the picture on the front of Bill's report there of a woman with an iPad and an armload of stuff just for the sake of stuff, I hate that. I hate that whole idea that... It's an all-consuming kind of digitally connected crazy thing that you're just you're almost opening your mouth and shoving things in. Having said that, I quite like product and really well-made product. As you, in your question, you know, artisan, craft-based, but not in a sort of hokey way. Beautifully finished product, whether it's clothing or anything or food, is a wonderful thing. And I don't mind that it's not self-actualizing; that it's somewhere around simple pleasures. But I think it's really valuable. So I, I don't think, and I, I'm actually, I really enjoy shopping. I, mm -hmm. I don't think it's the purpose mm -hmm. in life. And I think mm -hmm. we should be just celebrating art. But sometimes I get a real buzz from going shopping. And what makes it a real buzz? It is story. It's human interaction, human touch. It's time to spend doing it. It's me feeling like I'm in control. All those things that we know about, they do work. Yeah. And people do quite like it. But, yeah, that there is definitely a problem of too much stuff and too much poor quality and and people producing, as, as Bill said, to immediately put on sale and, um, you know, just proliferating around the world. So I agree with quality. Do you remember, there's a, I think that one of the things that, that's sort of coming out in this debate already is that there's definitely a, a, a social split. You know, if, if I was to... If I go... 
a couple of miles in that direction. I can stand outside the Rafa store and I can gaze in at the things I'd really like to buy. It's actually a cycle club, I should point out. So. If we don't do <laughs> stores, because we're not really about shopping. The branding, I can, I can stand outside One the branded experience. One man's cycle store. Exactly, I can, I can stand outside the branded experience in Porium and then I can go around the corner <laughs> to Whole Foods and spend a fiver on an apple. And, you know, and, then, and then I can sort of walk down Bond Street and I can, and I can, you know, I can buy the £1,000 jacket and, and, or, and then I can... Be vetted to go into the Victoria Beckham store. Indeed. And then I can go into the Apple store and buy, you know, a beautiful Apple device on which I can order my unique Etsy product. If I go... And, and that's because I'm that sort of person, privileged to be in that sort of position to be able to do that sort of thing. If I go equidistant north of here and I'm in Wood Green, then there is nobody on Wood Green High Street. You know, there's nobody on Tottenham Lane going, well, you know, I'm looking for my artisanal Primark t-shirt. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's... I think we, we have to be very careful when we're talking about the high street that we don't mean Regent Street, Bond Street and Oxford Street and, oh, dear, what are we going to do about all these Starbucks? And actually, we should be, we should be talking more about Clacton and, and all those, you know, all, and Margate and all of those dying towns. And the reason the high street is dying, is, sorry, is said to be dying, is because the very definition of the people who live there, they're seen politically as consumers. And the idea that if they're not shopping, or if that area of, the, of that particular city is not being used for commerce, then they are failing as people and the city is dead. Whereas in fact... Out-of-town shopping centres and e-commerce delivery as something to save money and time for the poor is something that we should celebrate. And we should instead take those high streets and say, you know what, these aren't for, this isn't for your bespoke, you know, experiential, super hologram-based, expensive thing. I'm only going to buy one thing every year and that one thing is going to be the perfect object sort of philosophy, but instead rebuild those communities and, and turn people from consumers into citizens. And that's the, for me, is the future of the high street. Now, the centre of London, inside Zone 1, that's a completely different world to the rest of the country. And we can talk about Zone 1 and sort of fancy goods as much as we like, but actually the future of the high street is in those places that nobody here would be seen dead in. You have substantially preempted one of the main talking points that I wanted to initiate for the evening, which is that um, we know that 23% of the country, according to Martha Lane Fox's figures, um, either can't or won't use the internet for, um, for, for basic services. 23%. So we are very much um, a kind of privileged... We may be a majority, but uh, that is a very sizable minority of people. So, yeah, yes, that, early that should definitely always it's be early. a factor. It's still early days in the technology development. I, I think it's, it's, these, these things that we're talking about, big males and those experiences, will come. And, they, and the people that live in Wood Green will aspire to go to them. And we, we mustn't lose sight of that. But the fact is, as you go across the country, we've had four years of declining household disposable income. So the poverty that's out there for the real people is, is absolutely real. This and is that's the a, politics side and that's of a, the panel and that, this a, evening. And that is something that we really have to get our head round. And, 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 and it's not the, for tonight, but it's, it's a big, big issue that we need to get our people with more money into their household and we need to get the productivity that's happening 
the, the, the benefits of that productivity going to the people who produce it in local communities, and that's what the future's about. I'm going to open out to the floor now. Um, I'm sure our audience will have some opinions on some of the points that have already come up. Um, do we have any brave volunteers to be the first question from the floor? Yes, gentlemen at the front. Um, there's a lady here with a microphone. Please, could you stand um, and just say your name and where yeah. you're from? Chris Dawson from Tame Bay. Um, we unashamedly write about eBay and other online marketplaces. My problem with the high street is my local high street is Newbury in Berkshire. It has a lot of charity shops, a lot of banks, a lot of charity, a lot of travel agents, a lot of coffee shops like McDonald's, Starbucks, Costa, Pret Marge, Greggs. It has a few chains and a couple of kebab shops. There's really nothing to encourage me to go to the high street. What do the panel think they could do? Um, and I really appreciate the fact. Um, Oxford Street, Regent Street, have you seen how many Savorsky Crystal shops there are? Mm. What would actually encourage me to go to the high street? Because quite frankly, there's nothing there. And if I go to Newbury, it's the same as Reading, it's the same as Basingstoke. There's really nothing there apart from a few chains and charity shops, banks, travel agents, coffee shops... Um, charity shops. I'm, I'm sure the, the same could be said for most high streets. Most of the high the streets. Yeah. Um, I buy anything I can on eBay because it's easy. If I can't buy it on eBay, I'll look at Amazon. Um, my next door neighbour's child, um, I've known her since she was nine. She's now 19. She's into steampunk. I don't even know what steampunk is, <laughs> but you should see the high heel shoes she bought off eBay on my account. <laughs> I can't get them in the high street. Where am I going, going to go shopping with her? How did she buy them on your own? Never mind. Um, <laughs> she comes around okay. to my house. She says, I want them. And I like put my password in and she buys them. And they were quite expensive. But I can't get that sort of thing on the high street. It's very if generous. I'm going to have a social shopping experience with my next neighbour's daughter. Yeah. I can't actually do it on the high street. So the high street <laughs> to me is dead. Okay. How can you say long live the high street? Okay. Very interesting point. Why should we be bothered about saving the high street when it's really dull? Unless you're into kebabs. Well, you know, don't save it by shops. That's the whole point. Oh, yeah. the, 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 um, the high streets that I've travelled this whole year around the country seeing are all like Newbury. The problem with Newbury is what does it stand for? Why would you go live, work and play or visit Newbury? What's the unique selling proposition of Newbury? What's the local authority, the Chamber of Commerce, the educational people there actually doing to market Newbury and compete? Nothing, because they've got high streets full of charity shops. And if they were in a poorer area, and Newbury's not that poor, uh, in a poor area, if they were in a poor area, they would not just have charity shops, they'd have payday loan shops every 50 yards as well. And, that, betting, shops. and betting shops. The betting, if you go through Wood Green, okay, where we talked about earlier, the, the betting shops that you see repeated brands within 50 yards is just mind-blowing. And that's telling you that the, the fabric of society uh, in Woodgreen is a political issue, so let's not go there now. Let's stick with the high street. As we don't have a representative of the Conservative Party. No, and thank <laughs> God for that. But, <laughs> but, but the fact is... The only way to get our high streets back on it has to start with the local authority. They have to be given um, the opportunity. They can't do it. They don't know how to do it, but they need to commission a, um, a, a, a um, body 
to actually produce a 20-year vision for how you transform Newbury into the 21st century, populate it with housing, education, health, uh, entertainment, leisure and some shops and make it unique, why would you go there? Um, Newbury? I happen to know Newbury's got one of the highest concentrations of mammal cyclists in the country. Mammals. So I think actually <laughs> Newbury's... Middle-aged men in light crime. So if I would suggest that as property goes, gets cheaper and cheaper on the high street in Newbury, somebody will open a place for those people to meet daily because lots of people are out of work and can ride their bikes. Um, and they might have a workshop, and they might have a cafe, and that's where cyclists will congregate and ride from there. And I think the high street needs to meet the needs of groups of mm. people, not <clears throat> just push stuff. So um, where is this happening, this, um, this meeting of what is, obviously you're running um, a commercial organisation, but there are many others that are slightly more, um, more purely community-led and community-run, and, and it's more about <clears throat> excuse me, bringing people together um, for the benefit of the community rather than for making money. Is this... Totness. Yeah, I went to college. I lived in Tottenham for a very long right, time. They're doing it. It's, Cam- yeah. Cam- Camden have Brixton. got Camden have got a bid. Bristol's doing it. Mm. Bristol's doing it very well. The mayor and the mayor there is uh, is quite inspirational. All of these it's things happening. come from from a, a realization uh, that is sort of goes back down to the sixties in Jane Jacobs and her writings about about the city. Urban theory basically saying that that you need to have mixed use. So the thing with, that would save Newbury and, and many other c- city centres in, in the UK would be to have people living there. And that's one of the things that's yeah. happened over the past 20 years is a hollowing out of the city where, the, where if you look at all the great cities in the world over the past thousand, couple of thousand years, whether you're talking about Paris or Renaissance Florence or New York, you know, as it was growing through, growing up, you had shops on the... You have sort of five or six-storey buildings, shops on the ground floor, offices on the second floor, uh, accommodate, rental accommodation on the, on, the, on the top three floors. People actually living there. Whereas in many of the inner cities of, of the UK, and certainly in London, very few people live in the city centre. And so there, there isn't any scope for these sorts of local organisations or local shops or, or any form of community building or anything like that. So especially in, in London today, if you, go out, if you go out to sort of Eaton Square this evening, you'll notice it's almost completely dark. Nobody lives there. It's rubbish, right? And if you go to the city of London on a weekend, again, it's rubbish because there's nobody there. But if you go to the bits of London where people are living and it's mixed use, then it might be a little bit grimy and it might be a little bit rough around the edges, but it's thriving. And that's what we need to have with these, with these towns is, is people actually need to be living in the high street rather than living in the villages outside. And I know you do, but, you know. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll let that one lie. Paul, do you do you feel any um, any any kind of part in the downfall of the high street? I mean, if if there is a real kind of relentless pressure on 
um, shops to provide real value because they're competing with eBay and that's sucking the smaller retailers out of the high street and leaving it with kebab shops and betting shops. Yeah, Is I, that partly your I, 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 <laughs> Thank you for the question. Um, I, 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 think that I, th- I think we've said it all inside different ways. The high street is dead as we knew it, and that was happening anyway. And, and, it's, and it's policy reasons, it's, it's planning reasons, as we, and, and shopping, I think, is, is, is a byproduct of that. It's not the core reason. Shopping itself, let alone online shopping. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, um, you know Ben has, has talked about the, the need for, um, uh, I, I, let me say, kind of thought, a, a thoughtful approach to planning how people live and where people live and how all of that comes together. Now, now in that, going back to the original question about, about shopping, the, the concept of the store just doesn't fit there anymore. It's just the wrong concept, right? The, the, our model and our view of the store has to be fundamentally different because that doesn't fit. Like, you, you did a great job of articulating one view of the store, which is no, no, one extreme uh, example is no physical inventory at all. Right, it's all virtual, and you get it made. You get it made cheaply because this three D printing takes a leap forward. You know that, that's one extreme vision of where it can go. But in any case, stores have to be much more adaptive. We're starting to see some of that happening with pop up stores. We're starting to see that happen with uh, much less. Um, uh, less space dedicated to the front of store and more dedicated to the back of store. We're starting to see some of these, but the model of the store as we know it won't, so I'm sorry, Newbury, you're not going to get the shopping high street that you imagined. It's just not going to happen. There is going to need to be a fundamental shift in the store or what it means to, to shop. And it, does, it, it might not be a fashion store. It might be yeah. cross-category. It might be, a, 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 again, it, it, it's, you know, the crystal ball now fails me, right? But it's going to be different fundamentally different from the model of the store that we've had. And that then will fit within the context of a different experience for people living in those centres. There's one other issue as well about immediacy, that um, the benefit of shops that we do choose to go to, to to buy products in the moment, we get those products to take home with us. And however brilliant and comprehensive the internet is, Mm -hmm. we still have to wait 24 hours at least, for the thing to arrive. What is going to happen to change that and to make it faster? Because that's where it really needs to compete, isn't it? Same-day delivery. Amazon are testing it in New York right now. Depends where you live, though, doesn't it? Sure, which is why living in Newbury is not going to be any good, but living in central (laughs) London... (laughs) Well, you know, not everybody lives in London, I feel. You'll get same-day delivery to Newbury and to where you live. That will come. It will come. By drone? Well, wow. <laughs> let's not go there. I mean, because, uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, what, one thing that I, I am clear about, and this is maybe a clue for Newbury, is that in, when I get to 80, which is in 17 years' time, there will be twice as many 80-year-olds in this country as there are today. And we're not planning for it. And, and, and by the way, we have most of the money. So what are we doing with these town centres to deal with that? Why, you know, I'm not t- saying you turn the centre of the town into a geriatric quarter, because <clears throat> I don't consider them, hopefully I won't be, 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 that, be like that when I get there. But it, it is an opportunity to get us out of the houses we're rattling around in, get the right families living in those, and get us into communities using technology and changing the shape of Newbury. And, and 24-hour uh, same-day delivery will come. It will come. As a wider social good, that actually makes a lot of sense because we already know from a public health point of view that isolation is one of the most costly things for, yeah. for all people. So even just subsidising the high street to be places where 
80-year-olds can gather together and talk about the war. He looks um, good, doesn't he? Talk about the war. Maths wasn't your good, good point. Right? <laughs> were there original tastings or something? I'm not sure. But, you know, but, but that, that, we have to, again, start to look at the high street in a, as part of a much wider complex social set of issues yes. rather than just how can we bring back some sort of nostalgic view of small shopkeepers it's that small shopkeeper you know independent store thing is 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 taking money and time from poor people to subsidize a nostalgic shopkeeper like memory i i would just push back a little bit um two two counts one I think small stores will always survive, and I think high streets, you know, per your vision, will have small stores in there. They'll be on the ground floor, and there'll be other things above them. And I think, you know, that's where people with more time do often meet other people and congregate. And wandering down the street and seeing the candlestick maker was part of community, and it and it did happen, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And actually, the people in Wood Green, who perhaps don't have quite as nice shops as are in in Brewer Street they do hang out and have a good chat. And I think that's, that's not so bad. So, um, yes, so I think got... small stores will definitely continue. And I think you know, people enjoy the actual interaction. It doesn't, actually, sometimes it doesn't matter what the product is at the end of it, or even if there isn't one. You just go and have a browse and a chat. Yeah. And you that's are, what we find in our You place. are absolutely <laughs> right. But, I mean, you must get off the wood green and the London thing because you know, these places have got lots of people and there's right. lots of people living. Let's get away from them. Let's go to the Newburys in that part of the world. You're right. There will be a room for small shops, but not as many as we used to have. That's the point we've got to get our heads around. So what do we do with all of that retail space out there? And it's not just the shops in the town centres. What's coming round the corner is the out-of-town B-grade shopping parks. They are going to be tumbleweed parks in the next five to ten years. What are we going to do with them? Where, where, what's going into them? There's just so many pound shops and, and B&M bargains that you can put in there uh, and then you run out of ideas. So are we going to turn them into health, health centres like in the US where you've got everything in one place? Are we going to get dance halls for older people and things like that? And it'll be rock and roll, not um, the waltz or whatever. But, you know... Or whatever was around in the war, because I wasn't there. But, but, but the point is, this needs visionary planning, and it is not happening. That's the point. We are the politicians are sleepwalking into a catastrophe, and we will have ghost towns. If I tell you in in Morecambe, which I visited, thirty three percent of the shops are closed, boarded up. That's one in three. It's an awful place. Margate is mm. a dreadful place and is never going to come back as a sh- all those small arcades in, in Margate are never coming back as shops. Do something different with it. Don't try and get uh, Mary Portas to go down there and make it Margate's good for a nice weekend. I'm sexy keeping weekend. a tally of digs against her, you know. Well, no, I don't, I'm not, I've given up digging against Mary because there's no point. The fact is, it was wrong. And I think most okay. people <laughs> saw it was wrong. We need to do it's a wider issue. She was invited, couldn't make it. I'm, okay, I'm reliably fine. informed. Um, okay, there might be some planners in the audience. I don't know, that could get exciting. Um, we're going to take two questions. Um, this gentleman at the back there and. Uh, uh, okay, gentleman at the front here. 
Hi, my name is Eric. I work for a retail media agency here in London. And uh, my question is for the panel. I know initially you spoke a lot about the importance to the community and the, the impact they have on the high street. Um, but I, I just also wanted to find out from you, in our day and age right now, we see a big influence of social media and how feedback is given from the consumer or the shopper back to either a, a store, a coffee shop or a restaurant. Do you see the shopper or consumer having that same impact or even more in time and, uh, and in, in a sense controlling away a, a store, a high street area may, may perform and act in that sense? That's open to the panel. Okay, and we'll, we'll take one other question at the back there just so we can answer two at once. Hi, Hello. You say where you're from. So? Uh, I'm Sean, I'm from Paul Smith. Um, I'm actually only 26 and my question isn't all that unrelated to the gentleman at the front. And it's, um, are we really listening to the people that are going to define what the high street is in 10 years, let alone 50 years? Because I don't really know what a high street is and I'm 26 and I was born in 1988. But I know there's loads and loads of people that are younger than me that definitely don't know what a high street is. Um, and I'd just be really interested to know if the panel are actually listening to people um, and taking that into account one and kind of dreaming up this wonderful vision of a future high street. Great question. Um, yeah, I suspect maybe the concept for this evening wasn't dreamed up by somebody born in 1988, but never mind. It's just depressing for us, I suppose. OK, so, um, yes, are we, are we really properly in tune with new behaviours and, and an entire new um, generation? It kind of cuts across both questions, really, but also people's experiences of brands and social media are, uh, are actually quite different to their physical experience. Who would like to start? Ben? Sure. You're giving me the eyebrow. Um, no, I don't think... I, I, I totally agree. I think that the vast majority of the discourse around the future of cities is absolutely sort of age-based, mostly by people who want to live in Downton Abbey. It, it's... There, there's a... Twitter? There's a... There is a... Definitely, um, especially out of, outside of London, there does appear to be a, a, a militant form of nostalgia harking back to a, some form of <laughs> slightly post-imperial, you know, before all of these immigrants got here, form of England that, that never really existed, that's tied in with all sorts of other, other things. And the high street being the most visible and tangible symbol of all of the things that have gone terribly wrong, you know, since des decimalization. <laughs> Is, is a, is, it's become a touchstone for, for people to rebel against modernity. Now, happily, as Bill said, in 20 years' time, they'll all be dead. <laughs> and then we can get on with making the rest of the, you know, getting on with the rest of the century. But, but until that time, I think we're just going to have to put up with the fact that there's going to be this thing called the high street, which you don't remember, which people will be talking about. <clears throat> and you'll just have to sort of <clears throat> nod along and just... You know, humor yeah, them, whatever. Yeah, yeah, because because I, I think there's there is this this hearkening back to a time which which never existed, and and with that an enforcing of social norms which are completely um, out of place in in the modern in the modern world. We'll be debating whether or not we should have Sunday opening again soon. 
Yeah. Um, Can I just go to Paul? Um, is the high street just a way of rebelling against modernity? Actually, that would be quite good for you, <laughs> I suppose. Do you represent modernity here? Uh, I, I, I hope so, actually. I, mean, I, I think... Um, that I, I tried to allude to this when I opened up, which is that I think the insight is there and it already exists through the networks, the online networks that exist, right? The communities are already there. What we haven't figured out is how successfully to meet those needs. So um, let, let me go back to the shopping example, right? So um, the insight already exists as to what people buy and what people buy and where they buy it. Like, you know, people in Sunderland buy stuff that's different from wood grain, that's different from Brixton, right? It's, it's kind of, there are local variations. So you can, you can figure out what people want to buy and, and, and meet that. You can figure out community interests, right? From the social networks that you can figure out a lot of these stuff. What we haven't done yet is experimented enough to figure out how to meet those needs. And, and I think these guys at the end have said we haven't planned enough to construct the environment in which that experimentation can happen, right? So I think the insight already exists and it is there uh, and you can listen to it. You can see what people want to do. Um, the, the bad news for the 26-year-olds is as yet you don't earn enough. Um, and the 80-year-olds are the, are the folks that are going to have more purchasing power and so there will, be, there will still be a bias away from you guys for, you know, for about 50 years until you're in that uh, situation yourselves. So, um, so, so, but, but, but again, I think the, the insight exists in terms of uh, interests, purchase preference, um, how people want to live. There are enough examples. We haven't constructed the environment in which those things can actually happen, though. And, and the fact that there are one in three boarded up shops in Morecambe is just testament to that. There's no experimentation at all happening in Morecambe or Margate or any of these cities. You, you confess that you, you didn't think you were very omnichannel. But, you know, is, is this the, uh, the language of uh, somebody born in 1988? I mean, or, or are they just perhaps not your core um, I suspect market? they don't talk about Omnichannel either, because no. <laughs> I don't think many people do. No. Um, I, I think the high street is just, it's just a, it's a metaphor, isn't it? And it's a simple mm. premise to get people talking. And I suspect what we mean by high street in the question is a physical place, not a digital place, where people come together to do various things and we've talked about what those things might be and some are worth more than others and commerce might not be the most important one but it's there as part of it i i'm interested in why younger generations can't be part of that debate and i think it is wrong they're not i don't want them to debate it though i just want them to do stuff i think the reason most people don't do anything with those boarded shops in morecambe because there are young people in morecambe and there are young people in in uh, totnes is because people who own the property aren't prepared to let it for anything less than a punitive rate. And it will happen where those things finally do crash down. And you've, I'm sure we've all seen it. When property is really cheap, people move in and they try stuff. And I suspect I want people who are 26 to try stuff, not people who are 66, although you'll get older people doing it too, I'm sure. But the state of property in this country, that is surely never going to happen. As well, long as property is run for like, investment rather well, than social Well, it's as unlikely as accurate planning, you know, mm. by councils. You mm. know, I think mm. it's perhaps more likely. Mm. So I'd like, that's what I'd like to see. And I think to your question about social media, I think it's, it's fantastic that it drives away the people who aren't very good. You know, I think it's really important if you're going to stand up and say, come to my shop to buy stuff or come to my shop to watch TV, watch bike racing and drink coffee, which is what we do. You've got to be quite good at that. And if people can tell everybody else whether you're good or bad, that's only a good thing, I would mm. think. 
great. Okay, we're going to take two more questions from um, the audience. There's uh, a gentleman there and a gentleman in the middle. Um, oh, go on then, Bill, a few minutes. <laughs> well, not only because I, you know, I do think there are two points to make. First of all, the good news for the 26-year-old is straightforward. Your generation is going to shape the future. The entrepreneurs out there of your age group are going to make the difference. So that's going to happen, because that happens with every generation. And as far as the media is concerned, we are seeing a balance of power shift here. In my, in my lifetime, I've watched the retail industry move from manufacturers and brands controlling the industry to retailers controlling the industry because of the advent of technology and the barcode and information. And now we're seeing consumers will start to take the balance of power and they will start to, to, to they can purchase better and they can use that media to actually make the right choices and to, to talk about the, the bad experiences. So I think that's absolutely going to happen. But you 26-year-olds, you're, you're the guys that are going to shape the future and if we can get our local authorities to start planning and engaging with the young people as well, uh, it will happen. And, and uh, trust me, um, by the way, we're, we're, not, we're not as bad as you think, us oldies. <laughs> I, I like to think of us as citizens first and consumers second, but that might just be me. Yeah, um, right. OK, there's a, a gentleman here on the aisle, a gentleman here who has the mic, and there's also a young lady in the front row on this side, I think. Yes. OK, hi. Hi, my name's um, Henry. I'm from a company called Trend Watching and also a charity called Three Space. Uh, and I totally agree with Bill, because what we do at Three Space is we take empty commercial properties that are boarded up and open them to uh, other charities and startups and communities. But then you face the councils who um, deny you rate relief because there are too many charity shops on the high street. Or you face the property people who say but we can't let this for less than 10 years, you know, when we need a stable rent. Uh, so I think, you know, on the one hand, yes, there's, you know, there are a lot of barriers uh, and there are a lot of people pushing for the experimentation. But, you know, how do we, how do we meet in the middle and will it happen fast enough? That's my, my question. Mm. Great question. Uh, gentleman just on the aisle here, thank you. Thank you. Um, my name's Ian McKinnon. I live out around Gloucester Road. Uh, and one question I have, and I'm sure the answer resides in your panel is just how desperate the circumstance is because uh, e-commerce has grown at X percent a year every year for the past, whatever, 15. And, uh, it's, and uh, retail sales are pretty much a fixed percentage of every GDP. Uh, some people think it's going down, some people think it's going up. It's pretty much steady. And uh, I observe, which is maybe slightly tangential, but in uh, developing countries like China, they're never going to have a high street or a mall. They're just going to buy from Alibaba, just like they're not going to have too many landlines. And uh, it's going to happen in India, too. The companies exist. And uh, a high street is a cultural, historical thing that you better find something to do there. Uh, but I, I think the uh, circumstance is financially absolutely, provably desperate uh, and more time uh, less uh, less money for the high street I don't know how much money goes away each year but they're not the shops aren't boarded up because the money's getting better uh, and I think they're going to be more boarded up shops so I'd, I'd like to hear the panel respond to how 
I mean, probably never fully recreated, but movie theaters, you know, dance clubs maybe, but there are probably other activities would be quite uh, helpful. But it would be interesting to see if there are other social things that can be done there. Okay, and there's a young lady just in the, the front here. Anna Barkelner from Made.com. Um, I very much do believe in the high street, um, despite Made.com being a pure play uh, furniture retailer. Um, and we have small physical presence in a couple of places. And we'd actually love to have more, because I really agree with Ben's original point early on this evening about how there will be a need always for physical, beautifully created stops, very much like rappers' approach. Um, so it's kind of already been asked already, but I think what is the single biggest thing we can do, in my opinion, is making it um, affordable for retailers, whether they're pure play or bricks and mortar, to be existing on the high street. And perhaps there's even a debate for coffee shops, etc., to be overpaying and for retailers that have that great immersive experience to be underpaying to make sure that the high street is sustainable still. So just interested in your views on what you think the, the mm. biggest impact can be. Sounds like a gradiated Tesco tax. That, but, uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get onto that. OK, so um, first of all, there's a question about the difficulty of securing um, more affordable rents for more socially positive non-commercial uh, projects. Um, then there was the point about um, just the overall gloominess of the sector um, and uh, um, loss of revenues um, and what could possibly be done to turn that around, or is it inevitable? Um, and yes, and then also uh, what can be done to make uh, things more affordable um, for retailers? Anybody? Paul? So um, there's a lot in there. Um, I would maybe pick up on the on the um, the investment point first, which is um, growth. Growth solves a lot of problems. It doesn't solve all problems, but it solves a lot. Um, and you know, the last five years have been uh, very tough for the for uh, for, for most countries uh, globally. Even China's slowed down relative to what it was, um, but but particularly uh, uh, kind of tough in Europe. And that reduces one. That just means there's less there's less disposable income to spend. More shops are going to go by the wayside. Perhaps that was inevitable. It's probably been accelerated. Um, but the invest the, the the investment dollars to kind of to go in re, in regeneration and rebuilding just aren't there yet until the economy grows. So your point about slowing growth rates is is a fundamental issue. Now, um, when the investment dollars come back. Um, you know, Bill made a comment earlier about um, you know how, how how taxes or how money is used and invested, um, and growth provides the dollars, but it doesn't give you the solution on how well it's spent. Um, and I think the debate tonight has been around how to provide the right incentives for the right mix, um, how we can take the, so again the insights, the data already exists on 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 what people want, how people want it, how you get a mix across ages. Uh, we haven't got the experimentation framework, we haven't got the investment framework um, to allow that to happen. So one, you know, gr gr growth will help; it'll provide more investment dollars, but we don't yet, I think, have the framework for how to invest those dollars successfully. Mm. I think we have to. All of the questions are predicated on the idea that the best possible use of the high street is for commerce. And we really need to reassess that uh, conclusion. Because 
although growth might get us back to that space, given the state of the global economy at the moment, we'd be better off making plans for there being no growth at all for the foreseeable future. It's a sad fact, but we do have to sort of start to make that assumption. And so we then have to say, well, okay, we've got these places, as I said earlier, which are at the, at the focal point of, of cities, the focal point of towns, the sort of the, the, the historical center bits of civilization. So what are the best uses for these places? And there are lots of different best practices around the world. So you have got, you've got the cycling clubs and you've got the, the cafes and you've got the, the places for debates and the places for arts. And if you go to, say, Amsterdam, they have the shopfront childcare places and you can have libraries and you can have all sorts of different things. We can go around the world and we can say, if this is the center of our community and we have a limited amount of space, how are we as a community going to spend this space? And how much of that space should be dedicated to shopping and commerce and how much of the shopping and commerce are we going to throw out into out-of-town places on brownfield sites or into the cloud, you know, into the sort of out-of-sight, out of out-of-mind type stuff? The inner-city high street, the, the very core of our communities, can be spent in a better way. And once we free ourselves, and specifically once the politicians and the, and the local policymakers free themselves from the assumption that 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 commerce is the best possible use of cities, then we will have a much better place to live and, uh, and a much better country. And that doesn't, that doesn't depend on, on, on positive growth because we might not ever have positive growth again. I mean, seriously, maybe for another 20 years. So we've got to find something else to do. Have you ever had any run-ins with um, planning departments about <clears throat> sort of change of use or any battles to open sites? Every where you time, them? Yeah. Every, every time. time. Okay. And it costs, That's not encouraging, is it? And, and we're, a, we're a business with income, so if we find it hard, I can only imagine how hard it is for a charity or a, a less commercial concern. Um, yeah, always. It's almost impossible, I would mm. say. And a bit like with my house, which I'm developing at the moment um the temptation is to avoid planning completely and just go rogue and just do it <laughs> that's hard to do on the high street um I, I completely agree and i would like to believe that we could have joined up citizens and government where we do start to have those conversations and make things happen i think the internet does help in a way From on the commercial side i think it helps because the only reason we can do stores now or cycle clubs is because we've made enough revenue through selling through the internet that gave us the capital to be able to invest and the security that these rapacious landlords are looking for so i think on a small scale that can happen and i think we'll see more online retailers starting to invest back in bricks and mortar um, mm. but that's not going to cure the problems and that's only the commercial commercial bit so we haven't really talked very much about mobile tonight, and I, I kind of feel like uh, you know you can't talk about disruptive technology without talking about mobile. Um, contactless payments, for example, are just one way in which our almost our behaviour around shopping is. I, mean, I don't know about anyone else. This might be a guilty confession, but when I use contactless, I barely even look at the amount now, which is terrible, isn't it? Or is it? I don't know. Maybe that's great for um, for retailers. Um, can we talk about specific technologies and, and, and whether these might uh, or how these are changing consumer behaviour? What's kind of exciting there? Is contactless something that, that you're excited about? 
Uh, absolutely, yeah. I think payment techniques in uh, in, in general and re- re- removing the the friction. By the way, it is a bad thing that you don't check the total. You you should check the I total. I think it's just me. That is Sorry. A bad thing. Um, but yeah, any, anything that, that that kind of removes the friction from from an experience is 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 just is positive, right? Whether it's buying diapers or kind of mm-hmm. paying for thing that that that's not the piece that you want to engage deeply in. That's not mm-hmm. going to create the story. So I think removing that friction, and there are a lot of technologies that do that. You know, we we were um, uh, slightly disparaging about some of the fitment technologies. You know, I I, I but I think some of those are going to be pretty important. So. Um, you know, we've we've had a lot of success at eBay with um, with parts and accessories fitment. Like, does this bolt fit my car? Right, pretty simple. Mm-hmm. But actually, the 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 cat, the product catalog to solve that problem is significant, and you can unlock incredible value for 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 consumers and for sellers by kind of solving that fitment. And so, does it fit in my? You know, I think I think fitment has a long way to go. Um, there's, there's, there's two sides to it. There's consumer readiness for adoption, which isn't quite there yet. There's the, there's, the, there's the incremental value in the experience that isn't quite there yet. But I think when we solve that, we unlock a lot of value. Um, and and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly investing in some pretty interesting technologies to, uh, to, to move I'm going to be really mean at this point and pick on Rob Skinner, who's sitting in the audience, um, who uh, is a bit of a wizard in, in this department. But Rob, could you introduce yourself and, and, and what you do? Yes, hello, everyone. I'm uh, Rob Skinner. I look after uh, comms for PayPal in the UK. The interesting thing is, is how technology changes and the way we all live our lives change and, and the way that... In many ways, we can never predict the future, much as we pretend we can. And the original vision behind PayPal, for those of you who don't know, was to beam money between palm pilots. Remember palm pilots? So that dates it straight away, doesn't it? So I think one of the key things for us is that we talk about technology. We're a, com- a technology company, and, and indeed, obviously, eBay is. But the most important thing that technology can do is to just do stuff. Most people don't obsess about technology. So, you know, however life changes, making stuff work is really, really important in ways we we can't imagine. And the other thing is is that often people deep within companies, technology companies, retailers, it's what consumers themselves want to do. And sorry, I shouldn't really call people consumers because we're people. Um, But also, we take things in ways that companies can never imagine. So texting, for example, was never really dreamt up uh, particularly by the um, mobile phone companies. Um, you know, it, it was something that people using mobile phones in those early days in the 90s decided they wanted to do. So we shouldn't uh, pretend we have all the solutions. But I think on the payment scene, I think, I think, again, the blurring of the line between the high street, between um, mm-hmm. the online world um, and a mobile at the centre of things is really, really important. And I say, you know, none of us can can quite predict the future. That's what makes the future so exciting. Um, but, um, you know, that would be my, my contribution. Well, uh, just one second, Ben. But what's the, what's the one technology or the one improvement that you would personally like to see on mobile that you think would really make it that much easier for, for consumers to buy things from their mobile? Well, well, actually, what I would say is it's not necessarily about the technology. It's about connectivity. Again, really, really important. Um, and today, for example, I was on my phone, I thought, why am I not doing anything? And a Wi-Fi network had sort of taken over, but it hadn't told me that it was trying to take over. So it's often the simple things like that which actually unlock the door. And, and that's 
often the, the little things that actually uh, really get in the way. And that's why I say technology should be seamless. It should be in the background making things happen. Well, something else the government needs to sort out is uh, <laughs> infrastructure, but that's probably another meeting. Um, ben, yes. I think... Um, one of the interesting technologies that's come out of the past couple of years, and it's come from PayPal and it's come from a couple of other companies that's really made a difference to this sort of debate, has been the ability for uh, relative amateurs to get a merchant account to be able to take card payments. In ye olden days, as you'll, as you'll, as you'll know, right? A couple of years ago. Yeah. A couple of years ago, getting a merchant account to be able to take, to take credit cards was deeply painful. And now I can go into the Apple store and I can buy the PayPal little widget for, is it 49 quid or something, and I can take, I can take car payments. Or in the States, I can get a square dongle for free, I think, now, and, and, and take car payments pretty much anywhere I want. And that suddenly means that you can have um, market stalls taking car payments. You can have you know, car boot sales taking car payments. It suddenly unlocks all of those sort of semi-amateur you know, coffee, coffee stands on the side of the street type businesses to be able to take modern payments. And that's a real, that's a fundamental change. And it's those little bits of infrastructure that, are, that will enable this, this sort of blurring of the lines between community and, and commerce and the enabling of, of the stuff we've been talking about. There's also, um, there's another one in uh, Sweden called iZettle, which does the same thing. And there's a brilliant... Swedish site called Ticktail, which is uh, probably most of you will know this, but it's as easy to set up your only commerce site as it is to start a Tumblr. It's a very beautiful site. Anyway, um, we are going to take uh, a couple more questions. Um, so uh, those of you who are desperate, is a chap there whose hand shot up uh, and uh, the lady at the front here. Hi, I'm uh, Tom Beardsworth. I'm a retail reporter from Bloomberg. Uh, I have a, a question that probably applies more to one member of the panel, but sort of do chip in. Um, one of the themes in the, the grocery sector is, is the discounters becoming dominant, squeezing the big four. But one of the exceptions to that is Iceland. Iceland has had a pretty rough year and a half or so. It's kind of lost sales, lost market share. Uh, my question is why? Mum doesn't go to Iceland. Mum, mum doesn't. Does she shop, shop at Iceland.co.uk? Well, I mean, uh, I can't comment as to why should they don't. Why Iceland's having a bad time? I don't have anything to do with the business now. And uh, I mean, Iceland is a is a business that you wouldn't um, you wouldn't have invented with a blank piece of paper, would you? A frozen food business like that. It's had a. It's, it's run by an entrepreneur who's extremely um, good at what he does. Um, and um, but it's caught by the austerity um, hit on household disposable income, and the fact that the discounters have moved in, and it's and and once the supermarkets respond with pricing on the on the key. Uh, or the known value items, the key items, they just they, they just lose out. So once milk goes behind lower price, they can't meet. They they, they lose out. But I, I think that the 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 more important uh, question is that in the next five to ten years, one of the big four will disappear. I mean that is a fact. I, will I, it be Tesco? No, I think it'll be Sainsbury or Morrison's. Uh, they they will fail. Um, now, why do I say that? Again, sorry about this 26-year-old, but if you have to learn from experience. And when I was growing up, 
Woolworths was the biggest retailer in this country. When it went bust, it was still the biggest retailer of confectionery. So please don't believe that, that you have a right to exist. You will know this, that each day you reel out your products, you are dependent on what you're doing that day. Your, your, your heritage is important for your branding, but if you're not doing the business that day, you've had it, and it's got to be relevant for the consumer. And, of course... It, and it goes back to the previous questions about property, which I don't think got really answered. The fact is, our property uh, and landlord community in this country, ranging from the very big ones through to the disparate private landlords, have a wake-up call. It's coming big time. And if the, if the, landlord, if the local authorities had good plans about what to do with that place, they would compulsory purchase this stuff and not allow them to have it boarded up to be used for other stuff. And that's the key. Our properties have to change. And as far as the, the, um, as far as the grocery market is concerned, I think the players like Iceland will, will struggle in, in, the, in the coming years but I, because I think Tesco will get put back together. I think that it's <clears throat> obvious what needs to happen. I think Dave Lewis will get the money to do it. Young lady, just a second front row here. Hello, uh, my name's Elizabeth. Um, I'm 26, and I do actually <laughs> remember the high street, and I remember Woolworths too. Um, I have a question about the physical form of the high street. Um, I'm currently studying the, the urban growth and urbanisation um, within London um, from the, the 1500s onwards. And... Um, it's obviously, as you know, the, the high street is a, is a Roman infrastructure that um, as urbanisation came in, it grew and it, it became bigger. And as transport grew, um, the, the high street grew and, and, you know, individual shops came down individual streets. And my, basically my question is, um, as, is the, the form of the high street still working for us or is it restricting commerce? Should we look more outside the physical form of one street and into individual, you know, smaller communities. OK, so it's great. OK, so briefly, I'd like to take that. One quick comment, maybe, which is, um, I, I, I think we've made the point before, I don't think we're solving for commerce. I think we're solving for uh, a vibrant community centre. Uh, I, I, I think one, one street can work for a form of community, right? I don't think there's any reason why you can't make a community, you know, kind of start off in that, and then if it spills over, you figure out how to, to spill it over. But I don't think there's anything about what we've said about um, the need for an integrated community centre rather than a city centre or a town centre, or the, the, a centre of community that, that has experience, that has some form of shopping in a different format than it has uh, kind of previously been. Uh, I, I think you can make that work with format. You might design it differently if you're starting from a blank piece of paper, mm. but we have beautiful town centres and city centres up and down the country. You can make it work. Now, you have an example of a new street, not five minutes' walk from here. It's called HS1, St Pancras. That has grown up out of nothing, has 56 million visitors every year. Only 12 million of them go overseas, so they're international travellers. The rest... Are 30 million of our commuters, and the, and the balance, which is about 14 million, are local people that go there for meetings, they use the hotels, they use the restaurants, etc. That is a new high street. Now, guess what it's doing to the high streets up the commuter line? Because the dwell time of the commuters in 
St Pancras is now going up. So they're not shopping in their high streets where they get off. So it is changing and it's going to be different. So in terms of urban planning and the high streets of the future, you've got an example of something that grew out of nothing and is now a great commercial centre. So it can be done. From a, from a historical urban <coughs> theory point of view, you have clustering of different types of... You know, in different cities, you have clusterings of, of specific genres of shops. So, you know, famously in New York, you have the, the one street, which is all restaurant supply stores. And in Florence, as I mentioned earlier, there's one area which is all um, glove makers and another area which is all leather workers. And in many cities around the world, you can see that, that pattern, that sort of clustering around specific uh, genres. What seems to have happened with the high street is, is a clustering around the genre of shopping as an activity recreational shopping, the thing we do on a Saturday afternoon, we're going shopping. And I wonder if the reason that, this is, that, this is, that you're asking this question is because the activity of shopping is no longer a recreational activity. It's no longer a, there's no longer a reason to have a high street for just shopping. And that, that might be the reason why, why these things are, are, are becoming more disparate, because... Because it's, because it's just not a recreational activity anymore I'm, in the way I'm that, say, to, hanging out in the pub would be. I'm going to be really mean now because we, uh, we need to wrap up very soon. I'm going to ask you to come up with a tweet-length um, summary of what you think the future <laughs> will be like. So one, <laughs> one thing, one nugget of sort of inspiration to leave our audience with <laughs> on what you think the key issue to sort out or one of the most exciting technologies to... Um, to focus on. Who would like to take that, having had 10 seconds to think about it? <laughs> I might let you do 140 characters, say, Ben. <laughs> OK, uh, I think the future of the high street is a, is a gathering place of citizens to be the best humans they can be. Is somebody tweeting this? OK, good. The future of the high street is what Ben said, providing... Provided, provided that the local authorities get a grip and start to plan for it now. I think you just about got away with that. Simon? Shopping's not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> OK, nice comeback. Um, I, I think the high street has a vibrant future if we can get out of our own way, and I think commerce does fit within that, but it will be fundamentally different. Great. That was surprisingly succinct. Congratulations, all. <laughs> OK, um, we've covered so much stuff tonight, and I feel like we've only just started exploring some of these quite enormous issues, not least the ones about planning and landlords and governments and Newbury, um, uh, but also the technologies themselves. Uh, there are so many, and there are new technologies and startups coming out every day, so it's just virtually impossible to keep on top of that. Um, I, I suppose the, the, the one key message is just to be really open-minded and really sort of exploratory in all of these issues and in all of the technologies that um, everybody in this industry is, is having to, um, to address. Um, thank you very much for, for coming and being very patient and for your great questions as well. Um, Paul Todd, Simon Mottram... Bill Grimesy and Bill, uh, Ben Hammersley. It's Grimsy. Uh, Grimsy, sorry. <laughs> uh, I think I was thinking of the DJ. Yeah. But then, yeah. <laughs> uh, OK. Um, and, and thank you very much to all of you. Um, feel free to continue the discussion in the foyer um, where drinks are being served. But from me, Jemima Kish, and from all of us, thank you very much and good night. Thank you for listening. 
You can download more Intelligent Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter.